The following Dharma talk was given by monastic Shoan Ankele at Zen Mountain Monastery. Shoan is a Dharma holder in the Mountains and Rivers Order. This talk, like all of our talks, is given free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org. Thank you for listening. This is from the Shamanic Bones of Zen by Zenju Earthlin Manual. Eventually, in Zazen, you become the meditation as it arises in you with each breath. It is no longer something you do or on the to-do list. Since Zazen can potentially transform the core of your life, It is meant for the rare individual who is willing to enter meditation as a ritual, deepening the understanding of life and death. Zazen is more aligned with the ancient meditations of indigenous medicine people, where those in training leave to sit still upon the earth in silence over an extended period of time. They take many trips to the mountain, so to speak. Similarly, Zazen is a slow walk in the wilderness. Step by step, bell by bell, chant after chant, breath after breath, over many years, And without effort, one may reach a vast field of illumination. I was feeling so um, tight in my practice earlier in the week. And um, tight in like thinking about giving a talk and what to say. And um, as I was considering my options, um, I just recently read this book, and it is a brand new book. It's hot off the presses just a couple weeks ago, and I actually had an advance copy, a review copy that you send, lent me, um, but it's uh, available now. And when I picked it up and um, returned to it, in the context of session, I felt myself relax. <laughs> when um, Yusen loaned me the book, she had already read it, and I said, how is it? And she said it was really good, and she said, you know, there's something thrilling about seeing the words shaman and zen right next to each other. <laughs> and um, I think there are others among us who, who feel that way. That's how I feel. I love the word shaman. I love all that it suggests to me, spirit and magic and other dimensions, something earthy, an ancient wisdom, the ancestors. In a way, I feel like that is a word that um, conjures for me the um, things that I love about Zen. 
spirit and magic and other dimensions, earthy and ancient, connected with the ancestors. And um, throughout the book, uh, Zenju Osho, she uses Osho. She's a um, teacher in the uh, San Francisco Shinryu Suzuki lineage on the West Coast and um, actually came here. I wasn't here when she came, but she came and led a retreat, and maybe she will come again. I don't know. But um, throughout the book, you know, she is really speaking um, what she calls the ceremonies and rituals of Zen. And uh, we have that in common, she and I. Um, I think about, you know, when I first came to the monastery um, quite some time ago, the different things that sort of resonated with me. And um, service was definitely right there. And I, I came for a month of residency. It was actually February. Um, and uh, at the end of my month, I went back to New York City, and I had heard about Fire Lotus Zendo, which was then um, uh, in a loft space on 23rd Street. And I thought, amazing, great, I'll go. And they had a Sunday morning program, too. And I loved the, the chanting and the liturgy. I felt like, ah, oh, where have you been? Thank you. Not everybody has that reaction. Some people have the exact opposite reaction. They're like, everything's great, except like in liturgy, I'm like, what am I doing here? Get me out of here. But, but I was on the like, give me more, give me more. I've been starving for this. And um, I went to a service at Fire Lotus and bless them all. It was a ragtag group of practitioners putting together Sunday morning service. And I was just like, I missed the big case. The pace was off. It was too fast. I felt like the harried energy of the city like came right in. And I was like, okay, this is not going to cut it. And I wanted to come back just for Sunday morning service. And as many of you know, the um, Trailways bus, which I was dependent on, cannot get you here in time for Sunday morning service. When things open up again, we should like petition, you know? Um, you can't get here in time. So what did I do? I was too shy. I was so new. I didn't know that you could just come call up and like ask to spend the night, you know? I could have said like to the registrar at the time, would it be possible for me to come up Saturday night so I could be there for Sunday morning service? But I was too um, anxious and shy. And so I came up and I camped in the woods. <laughs> I didn't even know where I was. I was in the, on the Abbasi property there. Like, I didn't have any idea. I just knew I was close and I could like come over when it was time for service. Um, I did that a couple of times. And then, you know, I became a little less shy. <laughs> so, so, so one of the things that I hear um, Zenju Osho 
And she uses Osho, that's what I was going to say, um, where we would use sensei. So she, we would say Zenju sensei if she were sitting here, but I noticed on her website she uses Osho, so I will do that. Um, one of the points that she makes is that this, this aspect, right, the liturgy, what we call liturgy mostly, and what she was calling mostly ceremony and ritual, but talking totally about the same thing. And, and in the book, she's like referring to things that any of you, especially after doing a week of session, would be like, oh, yeah, 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 I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, but she says that the, um, the shamanic element has been de-emphasized, and she, she wonders if it's even been kind of suppressed a little bit in the transmission, particularly to the West, which I thought was very interesting, and actually something I have um, uh, wondered about a little bit myself, um, that somehow part of Zen's uh, appeal back in the late 60s, early 70s, when it was sort of coming into, you know, all of the San Francisco Zen Center and so on and so forth were sort of ZCLA were like coming, coming into to being with great energy and excitement, um, seems to be the fact that it was like not quite a religion and um, something about the uh, ease with which it can be uh, folded into a more secular approach and life. And, um, you know, this is totally true, and I have no problem with that if that's how someone wants to um, take up Zen practice. And if we aren't in touch with the mystery and practice as a way of, like, opening up this portal the, the transformative aspect, the mystical teachings, then we're like missing the meal. We're just like having the olives beforehand. Um, Ken McLeod speaks of this in a kind of interesting way. He's a uh, uh, trained in a Vajrayana lineage. And he speaks about um, the, the vertical dimension of spiritual practice. So if we think about our conventional life as happening sort of on the horizontal, then um, uh, spiritual practice is, is happening on the vertical plane, right? It's not to do with these concerns. It's about depth or height, however you might want to orient that. Um, and he says, if we're practicing to make our lives better, so if we're practicing mindfulness as a way to reduce stress, or practicing compassion as a way to feel better about ourselves, then we are still practicing in the horizontal. We are practicing, in other words, based on a desire for gain, for achievement, for emotional connection, maybe. Um, this is what Trungpa Rinpoche dubbed spiritual materialism. Are we practicing to wake up? To be free? When we say, may I completely, may we completely realize the Tathagata's true teaching 
What was Buddha's true teaching? It was not about stress reduction. It is, Zen is, a mystic tradition. We are, after all, traversing between the realms for sure. And those moments where our mind quiets and we touch the other side, sometimes it feels to me like, oh, there's this thin membrane. How do I? And of course, there's no membrane. And when we have an experience where, I remember the first time I had that experience. It was during a service, interestingly enough. And I literally like looked around to see if, like was everyone, like was it just me? Or did like the veil part for everyone? Everyone else was just going about and I was like, whoa, what just happened? That grasp released. Zenju Osho speaks of zazen as ceremony. She says, um, it is a prolonged ceremony of listening and seeing. And she speaks of seshin as ceremony, the ceremony of seshin. (laughs) And I found that very um, evocative. Um, Inside, we are inside a many-day ceremony. When I adjust the frame for myself in this way, I can feel something open for me. And it has to do with staying inside. Inside. Stay inside. I wrote that on a hermitage uh, I did uh, some time back. I was, you know, on hermitage there is no teacher there. You have to be your own guide. And I somehow came upon that phrase within myself as a pointing, a helpful pointing, to stay inside. I knew, you know, it was a short, shorthand note to myself about how to use my mind in practice. And I wrote it on a piece of paper and I had it on my altar, stay inside. And I found it recently among my things. So it's like we are inside the container of zazen. And even this word container is so interesting. You know, um, sometimes we'll speak about residency as a container. We definitely speak about seshin as a container and how you have to be able to enter the container And you can feel it, you know, when someone can't enter. It's like that is um, 
uh, a different experience than when we can. <laughs> you can feel it like when people come in for a period of residency. Are they able to enter? And there is a quality, of course, of surrender. Surrendering our personal will. Which can be an ongoing struggle <laughs> that takes so many shapes and forms. But somehow to enter the container is what allows us to begin to relax and to release our grasp. And entering the container of zazen, right? Such a particular form. It actually is opening a door to vast, boundless freedom. It's like we need the container we need to contain this like life force. I don't know, what would you say? The one great mind. We need to contain it so that we can stop grasping, relax, begin to see. And yet at the same time, we're going to, you know, beat against the edges of that container. Right? You can feel that probably in your zazen, the places where you resist. And we want to go out all the time, right? That's a thought. And a thought stream is totally like out, 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 out. Once again, like following our judgments, stories, ideas, our plans, our strategies, our problem solving, our technique. <laughs> But there is nothing outside. And to see that, we have to stay inside. Kalu Rinpoche said, you live in confusion and the illusion of things. There is a reality. You are that reality. When you know that, you will know that you are nothing and in being nothing, you are everything. That is all. Our body is a container for our practice. Zenju Osho writes, in Zazen, it is only through the body that enlightenment is revealed. It is only through the body. Being embodied, we bring our hardships with us. But we don't contemplate them. If we contemplate our our hardships, we are caught in our minds, spending time analyzing our lives. In these situations, we might further the hardships. In both Zen and shamanism, we are led through, not around, the difficulties of our embodiment. We are led through the very difficulties of our embodiment, which means any barrier, any barrier you face. The oneness of embodiment and boundlessness is experienced together. Intimacy, 
That is how I hear that in language we might more ordinarily use. Intimacy. The oneness of embodiment and boundlessness is experienced together. The very thing that arises as a barrier, you have to go right into it. Be the barrier, Daidaroshi would always say. To see it, you have to be it. <laughs> Intimacy. I love she, um, she uses the example of Mahakaya Shapa, um, the Buddha holding up the flower, and Mahakaya Shapa seeing it. She talks about that um, as a shamanic moment for Mahakaya Shapa, that he sees the spirit of the flower, which is his spirit. Again and again, you know, the teachings, and I heard it in Roshi's talk a couple days ago, say so explicitly, like in the middle of using language, like, okay, okay, but like the language is totally just going to like mess you up. The language isn't the thing, but I have to talk. And so um, to recognize that, you know, that what is happening when we use language and create concepts. And I was looking at um, Joseph Goldstein, uh, has a teaching on um, mindfulness and 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 he points to how like you know every time we use the same words right like head or body or man or woman or person whether it's today or yesterday or tomorrow he says the words remain the same and yet our experience of head or body does not remain the same, but we get fooled. The language fools us, and we miss the flow, the constant change and flux. And he speaks about walking meditation as a place where we can see how when we're undistracted, He says, we become aware simply of sensations in space. There is no body, no foot, no leg, nothing solid and permanent at all. The same, he says, when we hear a bell. The concept of what we are hearing, a bell, stays the same. But our experience, if we're present completely with that as it's happening, is not a concept. It is a flow of changing form, vibration. And when we look more and more and more closely, we start to see that what is me and what's the bell is a concept. Traversing the realms, staying inside. So one thing that I feel like it took me a really long time (laughs) 
to recognize is that we are dealing so much with energy. I mean, energy is another word that is totally inadequate, but at least it's kind of pointing to flow and feeling and sensation and a vivid present experience. And so when we talk about grasping or attachment or control, like what is the energy of grasping? Can you feel that? How subtly? Because when you feel that, you have a way to feel the release of that. You're in contact. You're in touch. It's not an idea. And the habit energy of the self and its myriad forms. So ceremony and liturgy can provide a container to pour ourselves into and to, at the, at the very end of her book, Zenju Sensei writes about um, in San Francisco Bay, there's a place called Goat Rock Beach where the Russian River meets the Pacific Ocean. On their way to each other, it appears as though it is a river meeting the ocean, but it is simply water meeting water. When we are in ritual or ceremony, we are water meeting water. I was remembering, you know, so one thing that I so treasure and I'm so appreciative is being in a tradition where I can experience the power of ceremony and ritual and liturgy and form. And the, there are a, um, a couple of just like um, potent examples that came up into my mind when I was reflecting on this. Just personal, you know, personal experiences. And um, of just like what is like the, the power there. And, um, you know, it's not something that we talk about. And in her book, uh, Zenju Osho sort of says that and, and um, maybe is a little bit concerned or critical that it's not more brought out. And I appreciate that perspective. And I also think it's like really hard to bring it out. Like I remember when I was Shuso and at the center of that liturgy, um, which for those of you who are familiar with it, you know there's quite a lot there. And it's quite a seat to be in, in the middle of that. Um, I had experiences that were extremely like um, nothing else I've ever experienced. And afterwards, I wanted to like talk about it. And even when I went to like someone who I might talk about it, I felt as soon as I started like, ah, it's not the kind of thing you talk about. I just felt that for me, like I don't want to kill it. 
I feel like it is totally the magic realm. And you know, sometimes um, me and my sister monastics will use the word witchy, be like, oh, that's so witchy. Oh yeah, that's so witchy. And I love that. And in her book opens, actually, Senju Osho opens with talking about the, uh, the witchy. She has a little anecdote where a, um, a seer, she says, um, says something like, you know, they're practicing nothing but witchcraft where you are. For some of us, that may be a thrilling prospect. <laughs> this is a coven, people. <laughs> if that's not your jam, don't worry about it. It doesn't actually change anything. <laughs> coven, excuse me. So, um, so you know, this, this, this also brings out, this is where, like, my conservative tended, like, there are places where, like, I'm like, yeah, change, we need to change. And then there are places where I'm like, Oh no, this is where I'm conservative. And when it comes to changing the liturgy, I am um, like very uh, reluctant and hesitant and often resistant. Um, and sometimes adamant. So my one example is in the um, uh, Shuso Hosen ceremony, there is the first thing that happens is there's a signal that's sent from the zendo to the abbacy via han. Um, and the um, zendo han, the zendo timekeeper, um, is, strikes the han to signal that the zendo is ready. Everyone here is assembled and ready. And the teacher, the abbot, is over at the abbacy um, doing all kinds of witchcraft. <laughs> and so the signal gets sent by Han, and there's a series of Hans, six, I think, all together, from here to the abbacy. Um, and so that, that we're ready, that signal gets passed via Han. And for a long time, we were not able to be successful with the Han relay. Now, when I was Shuso and I was sitting in that seat and the Han relay happened, I, I think it worked, meaning the signal got sent and returned. That's what's supposed to happen is the, the, the Jisha is at the Abbasi and they signal back, we're ready with three, three definitive hits and that comes back to the Zendo and that's what begins the whole ceremony. Um, I get excited just talking about it. Um, and so... So when I was sitting in the, in the Shuso seat, first of all, I was fucking so scared, I cannot even tell you. <laughs> and the one thing that um, I was holding onto as I had been asking the different you know, seniors, like, any advice? And I remember um, two things. One was that Kaishu said, you have to practice your ass off. I was like, okay, got it, definitely practicing my ass off. And the second was um, Kyojo, who was like, you can really trust the liturgy. The form will support you. And she was giving me advice that she had heard from um, either Shugen Roshi or Daido Roshi. She was like, this is what they told me, and it really helped. I was like, okay, thank you. So I was like, okay, I am practicing my ass off, and I am just an open vessel for the liturgy. Like, bring it. And so I was sitting there, 
Um, and the Han relay started and I could feel, I was like, I could feel a thread. So this is where I'm gonna talk about the thing I wouldn't talk about. But um, I've talked about this before uh, a little bit. So I could feel actually like a cord of energy coming out of the zendo and like going to the abbacy. I was like, whoa, what is going on here? But I was like, practice your ass off, stay in the liturgy. So I didn't pursue it, I just came back. And I felt it come back. So it was like, it was quite a, a particular body feeling. So fast forward, there's several Shuso Hosens where the Han relay isn't working, meaning like the signal gets dropped, the Hans can't hear each other, it's not getting to the abbacy, we're having to use the backup method, which is a phone call. <laughs> and so conversation starts amongst the training staff and so on and so forth to like, can we just get rid of the Han relay? <laughs> I'm like, people, there is another way. Like, we are not getting rid of the Han relay. Like, what? Like, this has to be some efficient, like, I don't know, flaw. Anyway, so there was a place where I was like, let's, let's try again. And we got fresh Hans out of fresh wood that make a nice bright pop. And we added an extra Han and we practiced. The poor Han people never rehearsed. So you were like, I don't even know what I'm listening for. Was that it? Or was that just a stone? And now the Han relay has been working, I think, fairly consistently with some exceptions now and then. But so all this to say, um, you know, I appreciate so much when there are um, changes to the form that are being suggested and um, sometimes really, uh, you know, it is time to adjust something, to make more room, to be um, more inclusive often is... Um, a impetus and um, and the the care with which that's considered because of exactly something like this like just because it's not serving me in this moment is it is it are we done with it what is what is being held what is being transmitted It can feel sometimes like there is a technique to zazen because we do receive instruction and there is a method given. And, um, you know, I've heard Shugen Roshi say in many different ways, like, it's not a technique. It's a live thing. It's not automatic. Like, you've got to be, like, actually in there And, and the, the thing is that, like, we have to, like, figure that out for ourselves. So that's also why we need a container. There's um, not a lot of written instruction from ancient times on how to sit. And in fact... The early Chan teachings speak of uh, Zen practice as formless. 
The earliest recorded that we have instruction on zazen comes from um, uh, well, I guess it's, it's, let me make this simple. It comes from Daoxin, who was um, the uh, fourth ancestor. So if, if Bodhidharma is ancestor one, and then Huika, and then Senkan, then Daoxin, and then Hongren, and then Huineng. If that is meaningful to you, great. If it's not, don't worry about it. Um, and uh, so, so, Dao Xin actually had some written instruction. So this is like 6th century. This is like um, early 600s or, or, or middle 600s. So I guess that's 7th century. Um, and uh, here, ready? Here's the instruction. Don't be mindful of the Buddha. Don't control the mind. Don't examine the mind. Don't speculate about the mind. Don't deliberate. Don't practice analysis. Don't become distracted. Just let it be. Don't try to get rid of it. Don't try to make it stay. So spare. (laughs) I was imagining you know, how did that instruction come to be? Maybe a seeker of the way came to Daoxin and said, you know, Master, I hear that you have realized the way. Can you, can you teach me? And maybe he said something like, there's really, there's nothing to teach. Well, come on, you got to give me something. Like, what do I do? What do I do? I want to I wanna practice. I want to wake up. There's nothing to do. You're, you're, you're already there. There's no membrane between the worlds. <laughs> Samsara and nirvana, you're there. And the student's like, come on. <laughs> that is not a lot to work with. Can you give me something? Like, let me just, like, run something by you. Tell me if I'm on the right track or not. Dashin's like, okay. So, all right, I'm going to sit down in meditation, and I'm going to bring the Buddha to mind. Ah, no, Dashin says, no, 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 no. Don't, don't contemplate Buddha. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, I sit down, and I try to, like, empty my mind. No, no. Don't, don't, don't control the mind. Okay, so I'm going to sit down and I'm going to like look deeply and try to examine. No, 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 don't, don't examine the mind. All right, so I'm going to just let my mind expand to like it's full. No, 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 do not speculate about the mind. So what am I supposed to do? Just let it be. But thankfully, this person wrote that down anyway. They were like, well, I don't know if this is going to help anybody or not, but just in case, here you go. 
you know, and we can hear that instruction. This is what I was struggling with earlier in the week is like that kind of instruction to, to be like a technique, to be like um, technical, you know, something to do. But there, it's not actually. That's what's so um, amazing. And it's, it's, it's more like it's just cutting you off at all of your usual exits, right? All of your usual preoccupations, all of your usual like pressing against the container. It's just cutting you off. Okay, no, 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 no. Roshi talked about that the other day too, right? All the no's. No, 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 no. Then what? Senju Osho writes, on the fourth day of the silence, the world outside the walls no longer exists. I am speechless, and not because there are no words on my tongue. There is a forest with 90 people surrounding me, animals in the wilderness. Their voices are no longer, but there is a grunt or two. Some wander the forest stomping. Some move quietly. Some are flying. The cloth of our robes rustles. Chanting is soothing when the mind goes places in the dark silence. And then I come upon this place as if lounging on a bouncing branch. I know that if I come into my mind, I will become afraid that the branch will snap. I am a bird. There is something in the texture of her expression there that even though I don't understand, you know, what she's saying in terms of like what the, a bird on a bouncing branch, like there's a way where I very much feel the inside, the just letting be, the intimacy with breath, the non-striving. So, if you are wondering whether Zen is really a mystic tradition, whether it is fair to say it's shamanic, whether in fact it plays in the realm of spirits or subtle energies, then I might say to you, go ask the pillar. Thank you for listening. To find out more about ZMM's programs, retreats and residency, please visit us online at zmm.org.